Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. What sort of things do you do for a living? Do you ever stop and think about your vocational work and how special it is to the kingdom of God? One doesn't have to work at a church or a rescue mission to be considered kingdom work. Today, John Fonville brings a message called Being a Model Citizen Ready for Any Good Work. He honors the many areas of work we do and shares gospel encouragement with us on its value because our work serves a lost world and it's an expression of the gospel. Let's listen now to this next message in the Models of Good Citizenship series. Here's John. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Titus. We're going to keep going through Titus, and it's great to see some of you, and I think the majority of the church is still uh, still being quarantined here and trying to be safe, but uh, welcome from, uh, if you're with us on uh, the broadcast and the live stream, I'm glad you're with us. But uh, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Titus. Let me just very, very quickly summarize for you what we have looked at over the past couple of weeks. We've given three weeks to looking at uh, the the believer's duty to government. Uh, Just because that was such a relevant and applicable uh, topic for us in the days and times in which we find ourselves. But... Just to give you the big picture of Titus uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, what Paul gives us is four directives to help believers model good citizenship in society. He's teaching us in this letter that the gospel not only creates the church, but the gospel then, after creating the church, the gospel begins to order the church. It begins to bring order to it, and it does it in chapter 1 with leadership. It does it in chapter 2 with church membership. But here in chapter 3, the gospel brings order to how Christians live in their national citizenship, whatever country or origin they're from. Um, Paul is teaching us how the gospel brings this civilizing effect to an uncivil society. And the purpose, he says, is chapter 3, verse 8, because he wants us to be able to benefit our unbelieving neighbors uh, and hopefully uh, lead them to Christ. So there's an evangelistic purpose to this for the church. So so let's look at this in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. This is what Paul does in the first directive is that um, he, he is he is telling Titus, remind these believers of the duties of good citizenship. And so what he does in verses 1 through 2 is he lists seven civic duties. Seven civic duties that he desires for believers to model in society so that they can benefit their unbelieving neighbors. And these seven civic duties can be divided into two parts. The first part, as I said uh, the past couple weeks, is verse 1, is the believer's duties to government authorities. But this week, um, we're going to change the focus to uh, verses 1 through 2 and look at uh, the the believer's duties to fellow citizens. 
You know, how, how, are, how does God want believers, Christians, to interact with their neighbors in greater society? And, and that's what Paul is talking about here, because he says that believers, you know, we are called to be heavenly minded. And you've heard this, that you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Well, actually, Paul says here it's the exact opposite. Uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, he's showing us how the gospel produces this, this, God, this godly uh, citizenship um, as an effective witness to uh, our neighbors. And so Paul tells us here how believers uh, are to model, be like model Christians or model citizens in society. And so this helps us to understand that discipleship does include the imitation of Christ. Paul is teaching us, he's, he was teaching these believers, and he's teaching us, he's saying, look, don't be Cretan-like, but be Christ-like. And so discipleship involves the imitation of Christ, this uh, third use of the law, uh, keeping God's uh, commandments but, but he's teaching us very carefully here that, that this modeling of godly citizenship in society flows out of the gospel, chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But, because we never want to just give the impression that the Christian faith is just about being a good moral person. It, it does involve morality, but it involves a specific type of morality that is born from the gospel of grace. And so what Paul is teaching us is this, is what Luther said, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. You see, faith is what God wants, chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, the gospel. Faith is what God wants, but good works is, are what our neighbor needs. And so he teaches us that the purpose of receiving the salvation from chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, is so that we can do good works, reaching out in loving service to benefit neighbors for whom we live with in society. All right, so let's look at this. Let's look at this first duty that we are called to do as believers in society. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Look at the end of uh, verse 1. He says, be ready for every good work. Be ready for every good work. Back in chapter 1, verse 16, the apostle Paul says that the false teachers who had come into the church of Crete, he says that they are unfit for, they are unfit for any good work. Because they weren't justified, they were not righteous, they were not in Christ. And he says they're unfit for, for any good work. He says, but in contrast to these false teachers of chapter 1, verse 16, he says, you Christians, be ready for every good work. And so what does Paul mean by this? Well, let me give you some context. What he's talking about is that Paul desires for these Christians and for us to seek the welfare of their city. That's what he's talking about. He, he, he wants us to seek the welfare of our city. 
It's, it's, it's an exhortation for Christians to live up to the standard, one New Testament author says, to live up to the standard of being, quote, listen, a first-class citizen. The, the, the gospel of grace is intended to, to form us into being first-class citizens, And so what Paul is talking about here is public benefaction, being a public benefactor, making making the community in which we live a better place to live, benefiting our neighbor, being ready for every good work. So so, um, if you you study first century culture and, and ancient culture, Historians of ancient culture tell us that the ancient world was a very hard and brutal and miserable place to be at times. It was hard life. It was a struggle to live back in then. And um, in his book, uh, The Rise of Christianity, uh, one, uh, his name is Rodney Stark. And he's one of the world's most respected sociologists of religion. And he is an agnostic. He's not a Christian. He talks about the hardships that that believers and unbelievers face in the ancient world. And he talks about how Christianity came into this very difficult world. And it had a civilizing effect on pagan culture. And he talks about that these, this, these, these, these wonderful effects, these positive effects that the Christian faith wrought, it wasn't extensive in terms of like transforming cities. It didn't transform the Roman Empire because the mission of the visible church is not to be in transforming, you know, entire countries and nations and things like that. But he shows that that individual lives within the greater culture were helped and were purified from the pagan cultures from which they were saved. And I want you to listen. Uh, He gave an interview about his book and listen to how he talks about, for example, how he argues that Christianity was this uh, an, an overwhelming good social force for the life of women. This is what he says. He says, quote, he says, quote, Christian women had tremendous advantages compared to the woman next door. The Christian woman, he says, was just like the the unchristian woman. But he says, but she had greater advantages. First, when did you get married? He says that most pagan girls were married off around age 11 before puberty, and they had nothing to say about it. And he says that they often got married to men who were 35 years old at the age of 11. He says, but Christian women, because of what the gospel had brought into this pagan culture, had plenty of say about the matter and typically didn't tend to get married until the age of 18. Listen to what he says about abortion in the, in the ancient world. He says abortion was a huge killer of women in this period. He says, but Christian women were spared that. And he says, in infanticide, pagans killed little girls left and right. He says, on their expeditions that they've gone on, he says, we have unearthed sewers that were clogged with bones of newborn girls. 
He says, but Christians prohibited this. Consequently, the sex ratio changed and Christians didn't have the enormous shortage of women that plagued the rest of the Roman Empire. You see, this is what Paul is talking about, how the gospel had come to Crete and how the gospel had, had, had brought this civilizing effect upon the culture. And Paul says, I want you to bring this and bring a, be a public benefactor to your culture. Uh, Professor Stark also says that what Christianity gave to its converts was nothing less than their humanity. I want you to hear that. What Christianity, what the gospel gave to its converts was nothing less than their humanity. He says this, he says, if you look at the Roman world, you have to question whether half the people had any humanity. He says, going to, the, going to the arena to enjoy watching people tortured and killed doesn't strike me as healthy. He says, I'm a big football fan, and I see that when some player gets hurt, they bring out an ambulance, and the doctors take 20 minutes to get him off the field. They don't want to hurt people out there, but these people did. They would shout, shake him, jump up and down on him. They were savages. They had lost their humanity. And Stark, this, this agnostic, he looks at the fact that, that, that the rise of Christianity in the ancient world had this civilizing effect upon it, and it gave to converts nothing less than their humanity. This is exactly what Paul is teaching these Cretan believers. He's showing them and he's showing us how the gospel brings this civilizing effect upon an uncivilized society. How much in our society over the past several months has our society lost its humanity towards fellow humans? And so Paul is concerned to teach the young Cretan believers and us how the gospel produces first-class citizens by bringing into this present evil age the powers of the age to come. That's chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Paul, throughout this letter, has what's called virtue lists. He has it in chapter 1, he has it in chapter 2, and he has it in chapter 3. Ethics how he wants people to live. And these virtue lists are important because it gives insight into the personal vices of the Cretan culture. Let me give you some examples of what the Cretan culture was like in Paul's day. These vice lists show us that the Cretan culture was steeped in lying, slander, maligning their neighbors, drunkenness, adulterous husbands and wives, and quarrelsome conduct and all sorts of these, these vices that makes for being a bad neighbor. And so Paul is telling Titus, bring into order in the church where these things are lacking in the church. And he says, look, instead of living Creedon-like, I want through the gospel the believers to live Christ-like. And so Christians belong to their earthly city and are to seek its welfare by loving their neighbor. Now, as we talk about this and look at this, you know, be ready for every good work. We have to understand this, that Paul's exhortation falls under, listen carefully, this is very important. 
Paul's exhortation, be ready for every good work, falls under the great commandment, love of neighbor, not the great commission given to the visible church. The mission of the visible church as a gathered place is to fulfill the great commission. And the mission of the visible church as an institution as a place is determined by the message that it preaches, the gospel. And in the Great Commission, God gives to the church visible its marks, preaching of God's word, the administration of the sacraments, and the exercise of church discipline. And so listen very carefully. The marks of the church define and deliver the message of the church and accomplish its mission. It's, it's just vital to get that the visible church is, a, is primarily a place where believers come to be served. Yet, too often, the vocation of the visible church is confused with the vocation of individual believers. Let me give you some illustrations to help you think about this. Uh, researchers uh, are, are, are research scientists for exercise now emphasize why workout recovery is so important. And workout recovery, not just for the, uh, the athletes at the highest levels, but also for the weekend warriors and the gym goers and just basically anybody who's interested in getting fit needs to understand the importance of recovery. And so sometimes you've heard, uh, who, who's heard this? Uh, uh, no pain, no gain, right? Pain is gain. Well, scientists are discovering that actively investing in post-workout recovery is just as, if not more important than the time that you spend actually working out in the gym. Why? Because exercise is stress, is essentially stress. And listen, when you are repeatedly stressed with no built-in time for recovery and rest, the consequences can be disastrous. If you don't have adequate time to recover, it can lead to decreased performance. And scientists now say it can lead to what's called OTS, but is overtraining syndrome. If you get OTS, it says that it can compromise your immune system. You can get sick. You can feel exhausted. You can come up with chronic joint pain and chronic muscle pain constantly. I want you to think back for a moment um, about the story of Martha and Mary when Jesus came to their house. Remember that story? And so Jesus shows up at the house and Martha gets busy serving and Mary just sits down, it says in the text, at Jesus' feet and, quote, listens to his word. And Jesus commends Mary, but rebukes Martha. Now, what was Jesus saying? That you shouldn't serve and the serving's bad? No. And was he saying that you should just sit at Jesus' feet and never serve like Mary? No. But too often, the visible church is like Martha. Totally distracted with all its serving, rather than being like Mary, seated at the Lord's feet and listening to his word. Or, to use the workout metaphor, too many Christians have OTS. 
they have overtraining syndrome. Now listen, there is a time to serve, but there's also a time to be served. And so we come to the visible church as a place in order to be served. We come to the visible church to sit at the Lord's feet and to listen to his word, to receive his service to us. We come to the visible church to rest. We come to the visible church to recover. And after we receive the rest, after we receive Christ's service to us by word and sacrament, the means of grace, then we are sent out into the world in our various vocations to love and serve our neighbor in every good work. But this is what happens. Listen, when we are exhausted from all our service and repeated stress six days a week, and we come to the visible church, and all we're told is, you just got to do more when you get here. The question is, where do you go find rest? When do you recover so that you don't have overtraining syndrome? When is there a time where you're like Mary, where you sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his word and get served and acted upon rather than serve and just keep acting so that you just eventually burn out. And so listen, in contrast to the great commission, which is given to the visible church through the vocation of ordained pastors and ministry leaders, all Christians are not called to this ministry of pastor shepherd, but all Christians are called in the great commandment to love and serve their neighbor in every good work. And so we have to make distinctions between vocations. The believer's general call in the vocation as a citizen, in the vocation of whatever it is, we'll see in a moment, is worked out in their general calling to be ready for every good work. It can mean the willingness to to do things that help the public in one's community. And so obedience to Paul's command, be ready for every good work. Listen, this is carried out best, one's vocation, personal vocation. Uh, Gene V says this, he says, vocations are multiple. Any, any given person has many vocations. A typical man might be simultaneously a husband serving his wife, a father serving his children, a son serving his living parents, an employer serving his workers, an employee serving his bosses, a citizen serving his country. Note how a person at a particular job can be both a master charged with supervising subordinates and at the same time a servant answerable to superiors, whether a CEO or stockholders. Leadership and submission may both be called for as the different vocations makes their claims. And think about it. Paul was writing to people who lived under the Roman government. We live in a democratic republic. And for Christians who live in a democratic republic, we have great advantages. And we have great opportunities to benefit and promote the public good of our communities. 
And so how, this, how we carry this out, be ready for every good work. The way we carry this out is best carried out by fulfilling the various vocations to which we've been called in this life. When the Apostle Paul says, be ready for every good work, he's not just talking about the extraordinary, radical acts, the great success stories that we envision, right? Listen, the good works that he's talking about is found in the realm of the ordinary. Again, listen to the the Lutheran theologian Gene Veith. He says, flipping hamburgers, cleaning hotel rooms. Now look, after months of quarantine and COVID-19, who isn't thankful that somebody's cleaning hotel rooms, right? You don't think that's loving your neighbor? Do you want to walk into a virus-infested hotel room, right? Flipping hamburgers, cleaning hotel rooms, emptying bedpans. They said all of these have dignity as vocations, spheres of expressing love of neighbor through selfless service in which God is masked. Changing our children's dirty diapers is loving your neighbor. And that's a good work. That's a great vocation. Thanks, John. The message we just heard is called Being a Model Citizen Ready for Any Good Work, Part 1. More from the series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday, and it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville on iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time 